Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. Before we get to today's episode, a thank you to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Creighton University believes in equipping physicians for success in the exam room, the operating room, and the boardroom. If you want to increase your business acumen, deepen your leadership knowledge, and earn your seat at the table, Creighton's healthcare executive education is for you. Specifically tailored to busy physicians, our hybrid programs blend the richness of on-campus residencies with the flexibility of online learning. Earn a Creighton University Executive MBA degree in 18 months or complete the non-degree Executive Fellowship in six months. Visit www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E to learn more. Thank you also to Care Align for sponsoring this episode. Are you looking for a better way to keep track of clinical team tasks so things don't fall through the cracks? Check out Care Align, a HIPAA-compliant digital workspace built specifically for clinical teams. It works on any device and with any electronic health record. Caroline cuts documentation time in half, reduces errors, and saves clinicians an hour a day. Caroline is currently offering the platform for free to the first 100 clinicians who sign up on their new direct-to-clinician platform. Visit www.caroline.ai backslash explore to learn more. My guest in this episode of Explore the Space podcast is Dr. Jen Gunter. Dr. Gunter is back for her second time on the show. She is here to discuss her new book, The Menopause Manifesto, her new podcast, Body Stuff, both of which are coming out in the month of May, and the motivations behind her building what is this wonderful, burgeoning media empire. Dr. Gunter is just a wonderful voice, and having her back on the show to talk about the great work that she's doing, and more importantly, why she's doing it, what drives her, and what this is all turning into is just incredibly exciting. And we do also update, if you listen to the first appearance on the Explore the Space podcast, the Dr. Jen Gunter Twitter response pyramid, there is an update there, so make sure you listen all the way to the end. Definitely check out the archive of Explore the Space podcast as well, www.explorethespaceshow.com. Please do subscribe to Explore the Space Podcast wherever you like to download your shows. We're on all the platforms that are there. You can find me on Twitter at ETS Show. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com as well. Having Dr. Gunter back on the show is a treat. She is in the middle of a big month. The Menopause Manifesto is coming out. Her new podcast has just come out. We talk about all of that, this growing media empire that she's building. So without further ado, Dr. Jen Gunter. Jen, welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm I'm delighted that you're here. Oh, Mark, thank you so much for having me back on. There's a term that I, I know you've probably seen me put out on social media, and it obviously comes up on the podcast a lot, pluripotency. And mm. I was thinking about you and what you've been doing since the last time you were on the show. You were on the show, it's almost been two years. It was October of 2019, right before the release of the Vagina Bible. Uh-huh. And, and the place where I feel like pluripotency lands nicely for you. I'm going to throw this to you and I want you to just tell me if I've got this right. It's just in the world and in the space of media. And I have a rundown for you. Tell me if I've missed anything and tell me if any of these are wrong. You are on almost all, if not all of the major social media platforms, primarily Twitter. 
Mm-hmm. You have had a television show, Jen Splaining on Amazon Prime. You do live events, of which you're going to be doing a virtual one in Santa Rosa at my favorite bookstore, Copperfields. You obviously do a lot of press. You have your own Substack page where you write frequently. You have your own website. And in the month of May 2021, you are releasing your second book and launching your first podcast. Yeah, something like that. Actually, it's my third book. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> When you hear it read like that, is it a lot? Well, you know, I do feel like... Or I is it not enough? Like, is there more <laughs> to come? It's never enough. Uh, no, <laughs> totally. Uh, uh, yeah, that's the, the Jennifer Gunter subheading. How can you push harder and further? Yeah, I, I feel like I have a bit of a media empire, which um, is both accidental and on purpose, I suppose. <laughs> Let's start with the part of it being on purpose, because there are so many of us that are active in various parts of the media. And I would say, obviously, last year, 2020, at the at the height of the COVID pandemic, I think a lot of people in and out of healthcare found reasons to engage with media and be much more forward facing. Where does the intentionality around? I agree with you, uh, uh, the Dr. Jen Gunter media empire. Where does the intentionality around that come from? Well, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, or it seems like that, um, you know, when I had my own pregnancy and my own delivery, and my kids had all these awful health problems. You know, I realized that that accessing quality information so you could be, you know, an empowered patient was really difficult. You know, we we like to stay in medicine. Oh, we want everybody to be an empowered patient. But it's not really possible in the way that that I think or not really possible for a lot of people in the way that medicine happens uh, in the United States anyway. You know, you have media that you know, uh, hypes up things that shouldn't be hyped up. I think COVID was a great example of a lot of things getting hyped that shouldn't have been. Uh, we have, you know, celebrity culture uh, and we have, you know, 15 minute office visits many times. Right. And so I decided that, you know, I was going to fix the medical internet. (laughs) (laughs) And I, like, I really did. Like, I was like, I'm going to fix this. You know, which is it's sort of like saying, oh, I'm going to go to the moon and, you know, really having like no idea what that entailed. But I quickly realized that you had to engage with the media and you had to be somehow part of it in a way that you're also part of it, but also maybe a little bit different because obviously I'm not a journalist. I'm a physician, but I'm a good communicator, I think. And so I just decided that I was uh, going to try to fix the medical Internet. And so that was the sort of the intentional part. I just... I think grew where I was planted, you know, what, what seemed to work the best for me. I stick, I stuck with that as long as it was working. And then when other avenues I think came along that felt like they were natural fits, I gravitated to those as well. Cause I think people, people can tell authenticity and, you know, anytime I had to act like I wasn't me, that just, I just couldn't do that. The part that I want to pluck out of there, you mentioned the 15 minute visits And I think it's important and it's easy for this to get lost in the shuffle as your empire has expanded and your name recognition is greater. You are still an active clinical practice. Do you have people that come to you and realize it's you when they meet you in the office or do you have people seek you out because they've heard of you and they want you to be their doctor? Do those things happen with any sort of regularity? Well, uh, yes, I am still in clinical practice. Uh, I work anywhere from three to four days a week, just depending on the week and other things. Uh, not really. I mean, I think that, uh, 
you know, I, because I run a subspecialty practice that, you know, I, I'm allowed the luxury of having more time with patients, which makes a huge difference. Um, you know, when you actually have the time to explain things and the time, not just to explain things, but let's back a step up. You actually have the time to let people tell their story, right? Let people be heard and get all the information. Uh, it makes a huge difference, but yeah, not really. Um, most people don't actually, you know, know who I am. Not that I really think I'm anybody anyway, but yeah, that's, that's an uncommon thing, actually. I think that's probably still a good thing. There's so much debate around whether physicians should be in that culture of celebrity and how far we should go and what happens when we get there. I think probably in large part, and this might sound totally naive, I think it's still probably good that those are those aspects of your career and the work that you do have been able to maintain some level of separation. Yeah, I mean, I don't view myself as a celebrity in any way. I mean, I think it's when when people sometimes say, oh, you're a celebrity gynecologist. I'm like, who are you even talking about? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not as like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm a health communicator. That's really what I am. And I'm not, you know, in movies or, you know, uh, I mean, yeah, I have a TV show, but it's, I don't know. I'm just, I don't view myself as a celebrity. Uh, I, I view myself as someone who might be known. I think yeah, I was going to say maybe well known because for us, I think we, you and I, I think, and, and many people would agree that the term celebrity and physician when they collide, it's not always positive. And I, I, I can understand you maybe instinctively wanting to shy away from having that modifier land next to physician. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, when I think of celebrity physician, I think of Doctor Oz, you know, <laughs> yeah. Dr. Drew. Uh, and you know, I, you know, I just, that's just not me or, you know, I don't know. Right. There's, I think there's physicians on other TV shows. I don't, you know, I, I don't actually watch TV. So I don't, I mean, I don't mean that. And so like, I watch, you know, like shows like on demand, you know, like I'm like, oh, sit down, we're going to watch this TV series. I'm not, I, you know, I don't watch like, you know, those, the, Daytime we don't TV consume TV now the way we did when we were all growing up, yeah. where it was like, what's on channel seven? That's kind of like what we got or what's exactly. on. <laughs> yeah, you, we had three. I think we had three or four. We had four channels. I think. Right. We right. BC and CTV. So two Canadian channels. Okay. And then I guess we had ABC, NBC and yes. Yeah. And, P- and then PBS. So we had. Yep. Seven, yep. Yep. That's right. Or six. Yep. That's six. Yeah. Masterpiece theater was a big deal. Yes. And then oh my God, yeah. the, the Tom Brokaw evening news was a big deal. I guess I kind of remember Walter Cronkite, like when I was a little kid, because right. um, my parents had emigrated. So they wanted to try to get whatever news they could about South Africa, obviously in the pre-internet days. Right, and so right. the, the news being on at six o'clock, it was everyone has to be quiet. And right. <laughs> it's a little different yeah. now. <laughs> and we, we watched Peter Jennings because he was Canadian. Oh, of course. Very good. Okay. Right, yeah. That's fair. That's so, fair. Uh, yeah. And then we watched the CBS news, the late night, TV, the late night CBC news say, um, which isn't something that we really, the CBC, if I remember correctly, had a late night news show on at like 10 or 1030. So we often watch that as well. Acknowledging how many different places you are in the media sphere. Do you like the way we consume media now versus the way we consumed it when we were all kind of growing up or let's just call it in the pre-internet days, right? When TV was scheduled, the newspaper was delivered. Do you, which, which one do you like better? Which one do you think is more effective? 
Well, you know, I think neither is a perfect model. The first one, the old time, you know, when we was kids, when, <laughs> you know, you got your, t- your, right, you got your newspaper delivered, you know, yeah. maybe your town had two newspapers and you either were, you got the free press or you got the Herald or whatever, right? Your family yep. was one or the other and you watch your, you know, your news. I think that a lot of news was curated in a way that was better but also was curated in ways that weren't as good, right? So stories were all told through a very homogeneous lens, right? Like sort of a, a, you know, a white male sort of, you know, gaze, if you will. So there was good and bad, right? Like you, the good is you actually truly had like health reporters, right? Who that was their beat. Yeah. Um, As opposed to nowadays, oh, I cover culture. I cover this, I cover that. You know, you're not, they're not someone who has a background maybe in epidemiology or knows how to write about science studies. So that's the bad, but, but the good is we have more diverse voices now, which is how it should be. So I think that it's overall better now because I'm not a fan of gatekeeping, but you know, I, I think that the problem as we've seen is, you know, if you have a, a fringe conspiracy theory in the 1970s, it was a lot harder to get that fringe conspiracy theory spread. If you think about it, I always think about ideas like lighting a piece of paper and you know how it takes a while for the flame to catch and then it goes, you know, back in the seventies, it might've taken ages for that flame to catch if it ever did. And now everything is potentially Tinder. That's a really good analogy. I like that. As someone who, right, the piano keyboard of all of the different media platforms and outlets and ways to distribute information, you've kind of, you sit at that and you've got a lot of expertise. Which do you find are the most effective at conveying, if you have something that for you personally feels really important and you want to make sure it lands and resonates, which one do you feel like is the most effective? And which ones are the ones that you feel like, you know what, I think they've jumped the shark and starting to move away from? Uh Ooh. Well, I think that it's interesting. Like if you're, I think it also though depends on where you're, you know, that for me, I think Twitter is probably the best communication style because that fits best. You know, I, I, I'm promoting a lot more written content, right? But I mean, if you look at TikTok, it's a beast and people who know how to use it are incredibly effective. Uh, same with Instagram. Instagram, I think drives a lot of sales and things. So I think I see more misinformation on Instagram than I do on Twitter. But also, you know, that's the problem is, you know, I have a lot of people blocked on Twitter. You know, so it's like, <laughs> you know, it's also selective as to who follows you and stuff. So it, I think it's hard to say. But I mean, I think with all these things, even with all their downfalls, I do believe we are better off because I think the diversity of voices and the forcing people to do better, I think it's really important. And I think that it just behooves us all to, you know, part of teaching about health is teaching people how to consume health information. And I think, you know, one of the big problems with medicine is it's been behind the eight ball, right? You know, social media was a bad thing for doctors to get involved with because it was unprofessional. I mean, like who gets to decide what's unprofessional? Like what's up with that? And, you know, so we've been behind the eight ball with these new methods of communication. Like we have to evolve with the times and, we have to be part of the conversation because if we're not, you know, the, the, the consequences misinformation wise are, you know, are really, are really secure. I'm, I'm like ripping up an applause hearing you say that because that's 
right? Nature abhors a vacuum. And when we spent a decade saying social media is unprofessional, don't do it. Well, that vacuum of quality information around really important questions that people had to ask that they didn't have time to ask in their 15 minute visit, if they were even able to get one, we left a gaping vacuum and it got filled. And right now we're just, I think we're still kind of in a phase of just understanding what happened and and trying to pick up the pieces. Right. I mean, it's really interesting to look at the, um, the vaccines and autism, right? Like, so if you go back to Wakefield, when did that original Lancet piece come out? I think it was like 1993 or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, and that spread pretty much like wildfire without any social media help, right? Social media didn't exist then. Uh, but you know, you got it. The news did a great job of that. And I think that's a really great example of, how the old style of sort of curation, if you will, really did people a disservice because, you know, the media gave basically anecdotal, you know, anecdotal information equal weight. You know, no, nobody in the news media questioned like, hey, why is this guy who wrote a case series of whatever seven patients or 17 or whatever it was, why is he holding a news conference to release his case series? Like, what's up with that? Right. 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 But if there had perhaps been like, you know, now that we have much more physicians who are involved with the media, right. If it, this came out nowadays, like I get emails from health reporters all the time. I just got sent this press release. Is this garbage? What should I think about this? Like, you know, they didn't have anyone to, you know, that was just medicine was so siloed. Yeah. It's a story. And, you know, and it's like, well, yeah, it's a story, but boy, that's a sketchy one. It's true. And I think that in the same place where you've been able to grow and, you know, thoughtfully and meaningfully develop a reputation as someone to go to for good and credible information, I did notice that you say you get lots of emails from people asking you this question, right? Reporters and journalists, whomever kind of, I would imagine you get fairly well saturated by people asking for what is your hard earned expertise. And I asked this next question because when I was getting caught up on the Dr. Jen Gunter empire, I noticed your sub stack and I noticed that at least some of the articles in it are behind a paywall. And I applaud that. I think that that was a good decision. Where are you in the place of understanding the fair market value for your expertise and feeling comfortable saying for this aspect of it? I'm going to put it out into the world for free. I feel whole around it because it feels right or whatever your motivation. These parts of it, though, if you want to ask me a question or if I'm putting it out there, I'm going to I'm going to get my fair market value for it. How are you kind of working through that and reconciling that? Well, I really believe people should be paid for their work. Absolutely. I think that um, it's grind culture really to say otherwise. And I think physicians have been, you know, supportive of and victimized by this sort of culture of working yourself to the bone. Right. Um, Yes. (laughs) Right. I mean, but, but at the the end of the day, if you have a crashing patient, it's not like you can just go home. It's not like the work can wait till the next day. And so I think, especially even as physician, as physicians, it's, it's really hard to kind of go against that. I sort of divided up into sort of what's, what's being asked of me. So at the beginning, you know, when I was first active on social media, I, and you know, I, every single press request, you know, I, if I could, I answered, right. Cause my goal, my goal was to fix things. But for example, like 
during the at the start of the pandemic, a news organization basically wanted me to do this whole series of like video interviews with them explaining stuff. And I'm like, well, you have to pay for that. Like, that's a lot of time on my half, like on my part, like I can't be, you know, prepping for, you know, a half hour thing that you're going to cut down and use two minutes of, but I've done all this incredible work for you, like over and over and over again. Like I'm basically doing the job for your reporter. So you'd have to pay for my time for that. And you know what? They didn't want to do it. I'm like, okay, fine. You know, that's fine. Because you have to sort of think about like, it's, you know, and this wasn't like, I don't, I can't remember what it was about, but it was, it was basically like, it was going to be a lot of work for me. And I'm like, you know, I'm not your free sort of your free reporter to come to over and over and over again, like to sort of collect the information from the behind the paywall and that kind of thing. So, so yeah, so I think it just depends on, on what it is, certainly from a Substack standpoint. Yeah. I mean, all those pieces that I write take a lot of research and deep diving and yeah they're um, proper long form pieces for sure yeah and so you know right now only about 10 percent of stuff is behind the paywall and because you want to give people who are financially supporting you something you know for for doing that buying a book is asking people to pay for expertise i mean the hours i mean the months that go into researching a book and writing it and putting it down on paper you know that's what you know people are getting in return you know for you know for their you know, $16 or $18 or, you know, whatever the book costs. But so I think it's just a matter of sort of thinking about what you're doing. You know, the, the thing that I don't do is I don't, you know, take any money from, from any kind of industry, right? Like I don't have any sponsored advertising. Like I see a fair number of, you know, doctors on Instagram and TikTok who do, you know, industry funded posts or, you know, whatever advertising posts, whatever you want to call them. And I, I don't have any issue with them. I mean, that's, you know, I believe people should be paid, paid for their work. But since that's just a route that I've decided not to go, you just have to figure out the value of your work and and be okay to ask for it. That last part, though, that's that's it. And I think that especially in our profession, the, we we really have an opportunity to get better at that, to understand the value of your work and then to ask for it. And I, I might even suggest to do what you demonstrated before, that if they're not going to give it to you, to, to pass and say, okay, no thanks. I think that there's this sort of churn of, you know, talks and presentations and grand rounds and going on TV. And and I don't propose to know what everybody gets for all these things, but I also know that there are many, many thousands of these all around the country per week. And I don't know that physicians understand the demand and I don't know that they understand their fair market value and the process by which you understand what, appropriate fees might look like, how to ask for it, how to negotiate it. I think that it would empower people to continue to do the work and not work themselves to the bone or have it detract from other things that are important to them if they're able to have whatever it is to make them feel whole, whether it's advancement or financial compensation or exposure or whatever the case. Yeah, I think people, I mean, Obviously, people have to decide why they're doing things as well. I don't, you know, I think some people do it just for the joy and the information. And that, I would say that's 90% of, you know, what I do. It's because my life would be better if everybody knew this information. Like my life would be better if everybody knew quality information about vaccines and COVID. Like your life would be better. Everybody's life would be better. So, you know, a lot of times that's the compensation is I want to live in a world where it's safe to go out. So, you know, I, I want to get that information yeah. out there. But you're clear on what that is, right? So when you're doing it, you feel whole around it. 
Yeah, I think so. I think um, it also just depends. Like there are some places that you have, you know, a good relationship with. And so maybe they ask you to do more things, but also then when your book comes out, they're also going to come to you and they're going to give you coverage. So that's totally. also payment. In a yeah. Way. Yeah. So, you know, so, so that's also for me, part of the equation and reporters I've had really great. I, you know, go back 10 years with working with it, like everything else, it's about building contacts and friendships yep, yep, and yep. community. And so, and, you know, like there's one publication that I won't mention that I have been interviewed for three times, I think three, maybe it was two huge, long interviews where like I spent an hour, you know, explaining a detailed subject to the reporter, the journalist, and, you know, really making sure that they understood it. And it was the area that I'm like, you know, the expert or certainly, you know, one of the experts. And both times the big print piece came out and I wasn't mentioned at all. Other experts were. And it was interesting because certainly some of the words that I'd given seemed to have helped shape perhaps the interview. And I think it was a conscious decision to exclude me. Now, sometimes you do an interview like that and you, you your quotes get dropped and you get, I'm so sorry, email back from the reporter. Mm-hmm. And I get it. You know, things get cut. I get editors. I totally get that. And all they have to do is say, I'm so sorry. Right. But when they don't, it's really curious. That's so, not a know, very comfortable place to be. Well, you know, you just make a conscious decision that I, I won't do an interview with that, with that publication. Again. Right. Right. Just, it's just not worth it for me. You know, it's, 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 it's good to know what those boundaries are. Yeah. It's good to know where those boundaries land because, you know, when people kind of ask me this question too, and you know, I'm doing this or I'm going to do that or should I, it's just, it's the idea of understand what makes you feel whole around doing it. Money is part of that equation. Exposure is part of that equation. Joy is part of the equation. As as long as you understand what it is that makes you feel whole, that's great. And it's different for everyone. It's just making sure that you do that as opposed to just feeling like you're getting rolled into this thing where you don't feel whole around it. And then afterwards, you've done all this work and maybe you didn't even get into the piece. That doesn't feel good at all. No. Yeah, it doesn't. And yeah, I mean, it just. You know, and you get that things happen and stuff, but when there's a pattern, you know, yeah, I'm all yeah. about looking for patterns. <laughs> so speaking of patterns and speaking of looking for joy, I would say two books in two years, now three books in total, that's a pattern. And I would say <laughs> that the sense of, of energy, commitment, joy, and strategic vision around the Vagina Bible, now the Menopause Manifesto, as I hear you use those terms now that we get to talk about the book a little bit, like it really, that all rings very, very true that the subtext in this is your heart and soul and this vision that you've created over the course of your career. And now the professional vision around creating the Dr. Jen Gunter media enterprise, which I'm going to say forever now, like it's all there. And it's, it's really cool to see that it really reflects out of this book. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I just, I'm sort of at this point in my, career. And being sick of is not the right expression, but absolutely dumbfounded. I think that's the right expression. How, how misinformation is just so prevalent, you know, like at every level and how people do so much better when they have quality information, right? Like when someone, when a, when a patient comes to see you, 
and they've read all the right stuff and they are completely educated on their topic. You know, how much time you actually spend out of this precious time you have with some people really undoing bad information, right? And I just sort of became, like I would say, obsessed with the idea that what if everybody walking into the office, you know, had this baseline of information about their health, about how their body works, about how to detect good information from bad, like, wouldn't that be better for everybody? Yes, it absolutely would be. You know, I mean, and it even in a lot of situations would be better for insurers, you know? It's really fascinating to me that this is one of those like things where everybody's like a stakeholder, except people who sell garbage, right? And crap. And, you know, maybe some of the pharmaceutical companies, you know, so I just think like, this is one of those things where we should all be on the same page, but we're not. So we're I guess not. that's, yeah. I'm just trying to, I guess that's, you know, the, the nudge that I'm trying to give people because it just, it's so devastating to be in the office with someone or someone that you interact with online and you just drop a piece of information and they're like, why am I just finding this out now? Mm, I've, yeah. you know, I've had this condition for four years or I've been struggling with this symptom for six years and you just drop that information. Like it's nothing like, how is that even possible? And I think that's, that's just kind of a concept that I've just become really like, like that shouldn't be, we're in the age of information, right? I mean, we're probably in the age of disinformation, but you know, I mean, I'm just really obsessed with that idea that, that, that shouldn't be, it's so heartbreaking. Like being sick is hard enough. Having an illness is hard enough. And then to have been really working hard, like to figure out, you know, your symptoms or to get treatment. And then six years later, someone just says something and you're just like, what? Like, why am I learning that now? And it's, it's true. Like, why are you learning that now? That's a problem. Hearing that, I understand much better kind of the paired mission that that clearly you're going to be on and the course that it will take because you have the book coming out, but you also have a new podcast, Body Stuff with Dr. Jen Gunter, that's coming out on May 19th. This is a lot of work to undertake, but it's work that's clearly in series. These two elements really are going to amplify one another in terms of getting good, thoughtful, credible information out there to people who need it and want it and will look for it. Do you feel like the energy to do this when you have now just finished a book and and are working a show is the energy, does it feed on itself or do you have to like replenish yourself as you go? Cause it's taxing and draining. I'm sorry. What is this replenishment you speak of? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well played. Um, well played. Yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to tell me six years later, you'll drop that one piece of information. I'll say, really, right. that's how to do it. Right. Right. In six years time, <laughs> come back, interview me and I'll, I'll have the nugget. I'm keeping it from you right now. Um, yeah, I think, I don't know. I just, it's like, you know, in some ways it's hard for me to explain. It's, I think it's in the same way that Geese know they need to fly south for the winter. Like I just, it's some kind of instinct that I just, like I, like to not do it makes me hurt, I guess. Like that's maybe the, it's just like, it's my North Pole. I don't know. I, it's something that I'm really just driven to do. And I think, cause it's just, I guess, because I've been there, you know, with, 
you know, with my own kids and when they were so ill and I know what it's like to have gone down wrong pathways and to, you know, I've, I had that situation, you know, with my kids where, you know, I've been, was told symptoms were nothing or, you know, and then four years later, seeing, finally seeing some specialist who had to basically in, in one sentence validated everything that I've been through in four years. And you're just like, look, I just don't want anyone to have to feel like that. It sucks. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and so the body stuff is sort of my, like, if I designed medical school for the masses, uh, and cause I, I'm, you know, not only just fascinated in the biology, fascinated in like the backstories, you know, when you go to a really great lecture and the person also tells you something fun about like what the Victorians thought of or how this herb came to be made into some medication or, you know, these like, or why you think the way you do, like we all thought this way for a reason and guess what? We were all wrong. Or what were the cultural <laughs> forces behind that? Right. Yeah. Like I love those little snippets of, I guess, sort of anthropology slash human behavior slash cultural forces, you know, that, that, that seep into lectures. And so body stuff is this combination of going through body systems and explaining to people how they work uh, and also sort of taking a cultural idea or myth or common misconception about that organ system uh, to sort of explain it. So for example, the first episode is on the kidney and we take the myth of eight glasses of water a day. And we explain how the kidney works. So you understand why that's a myth. And we also explain how you might have come to believe that myth. And it's quite surprising, the forces behind it. That's fantastic. As the son of a nephrologist, I love that. As the son of a kidney, that's, that's the best. It's interesting. I, you know what that made me think of, too, is I remember in elementary school, the food pyramid came out. <laughs> And the base of the food pyramid was like a 518 servings of, you know, carbohydrates per day or whatever. You know, <laughs> right, yeah. And you come, you come to learn, you know, when you're in college or something, I don't remember which book I read it in. Um, it was, uh, you know, you come to learn that the food pyramid that infiltrated every American public school was driven primarily by the corn lobby and the agriculture <laughs> lobby. And you, you, that, that idea of the information that we get and the motivations the, and the driving forces behind it, that's super smart. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I think as is people really like, you can't just say, say to someone, well, you shouldn't believe that. Right. Right. Like, right. Like no one wants to hear that. Yes. Um, and especially if it's a deeply held belief, you know, then you're like, wait, I believe this for like my whole life. I hear, and a belief that you hear everywhere, right? Like everything you hear reinforces it. So, yeah. So, you know, my, the best way to not believe medical myths or the best way to untangle them is to say, look, you know, people believe them for good reasons because nobody taught you how the kidney worked or how your thirst worked. Nobody right. taught you that, right? That's not your fault. No one taught you that. And look, there's these, also these malevolent forces <laughs> that right. actually are invested in you believing that. Um, so yeah. So, you know, it's not always a malevolent force. Sometimes it's, uh, other forces. Yeah. So we do the kidney, um, the intestine, uh, the ovary by way of menopause. We do the immune system, um, skin, uh, the liver, uh, and uh, you know the brain by way of uh, sort of anxiety, mental health by way of anxiety. And so we, um, yeah, we cover you know all those topics in their own independent episodes. And 
I got to interview some amazing people and just, uh, oh, and Bones, that's also another one we do, Bones. Uh, and just, you know, learn some incredible things from anthropologists and historians and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool. And I hope uh, amazing sound design and I, this incredible production company, um, Transmitter uh, Media and Ted, just a joy to work with, you know, because they're, the great thing about this podcast is I, maybe people probably don't know this about Ted, but they have a team of fact checkers, like a team mm-hmm. and at what, you know, and every single thing, like everything is fact checked, like every single thing. So, which I think is great because that's, you know, I want people to have all the facts. That's, that is really, really exciting that these sorts of things are emerging. And I think that they'll help the appetite for even more of it grow because have you ever heard that term that the body is a black box that you, it's just that the sort of thing that no one understands and that's normalized that that's just the way it should be. I've heard that from so many people or in the hospital. Someone will say, I don't understand this thing. And it's like, it's part of your body. Like we've missed this huge opportunity to educate and, and to make it fun and to make it engaging. And the way that you're describing the craft of educating around parts of the human body as that's that, that I think that's going to land. I think it's going to really resonate. It sounds really exciting. I mean, it's a bit like my TED talk on periods, right? You have this problem of heavy periods. Lots of people do or period cramps. Lots of people have period diarrhea, but no one actually sort of explains like, why do we have heavy periods like humans do? And when people understand sort of the evolutionary biology, sometimes behind how their body works, it's, it makes then all the next steps a lot easier. It's like having some key puzzle pieces that are not in the picture. And when you have those and you can step back and say, oh, you know, cause a, a lot of times, like just knowing like why your body is doing something is itself like empowering. And, you know, because then you're not, you're like, oh, that's why it does. That. Yeah. Okay. It lowers the anxiety level and the uncertainty level for sure, which allows you to then have kind of more bandwidth to do what you need to do or do the things that you like to do. Right. And we also know that unfortunately, lots of people don't get hurt in the doctor's office. So yeah. if you're dismissed and you don't have that information to know, you just think you're uniquely broken, right? Hmm. But when you find out that, wow, that's the way it is because of evolution or lots of people have that same problem, that empowers you, right? To actually then advocate for yourself. And it, it shouldn't be like that. People shouldn't have to beat up against like a brick wall to get help. But you know, the truth of the matter is sometimes they do. Yeah. I think that that's, it's a lot. I mean, I, I, you know, as, as you're one person and it's a lot. And I also know that you have the energy and the will to do it, but it's also, I think good to look at the road forward so that you can continue to do it. Does it feel like this is that this operating tempo is one that will carry you through the next stretch of your career or is it something where you're like i can see the horizon i can see where i need to bring the voltage down a bit i don't know i don't know if i have an answer for that question i love when i ask questions like that that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> i don't know yeah I think, good i think i'm very much in many ways while i may have like like long-term goals like aspirational goals i'm also very much like putting one foot in front of the other and and sort of pushing down like a little bit with more pressure and more pressure and more pressure to see if this is the right path. And then if it is, I keep taking another step in that direction. If, Ooh, 
my foot's falling through. So think, of that, <laughs> think of like the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, you know, yes. like has to step like, oh, you know, it has, I feel a bit like that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And then, nope. um, you know, what's the universe telling me? Is this the right direction or not? Um, and then, so yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's, it's hard because, you know, you think, okay, well, I'm only one person. But on the other hand, I think that I've set an example for a lot of people who are now also branching out and doing much more, you know, education on social media and other things. And so I think that's wonderful as well. And so I think that, you know, there's, it's become a really great medium for a lot of people to interact with. And I'm certainly like not the reason people did this, but, you know, I think I was, I've been on Twitter for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. The, the, um, yeah. The other piece that I'm wondering about though. So you were on in 2019 for the vagina Bible. You're on in 2021 for the menopause manifesto. It begs the question, right? As someone who loves movies and enjoys the trilogy, will you be back on in 2023 with book three, not otherwise specified? Yeah, I am. I am uh, working on book three, otherwise uh, not specified. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Good. I had a feeling that that was the case, that there would be that this wasn't a bookend, that this was a trilogy, at least. That's very yeah. good. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, these three books are there is sort of a third one. Uh, that's going to be very different but when people see it they'll read it as an evolution i think of the first two and it gets back to just some bigger reasons about not understanding basic biology and where it takes us uh and maybe a little bit more of my backstory in some of it as well so we'll see i've got uh, certainly one story that's itching to be told so i'm working on that part right now so i just have to figure out how it's all gonna fit together I think of a lot of things that I do as puzzle. Like I, I, I love puzzles, by the way, like, like, puzzles, oh. like, as in like uh, jigsaw puzzles. Yeah. 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 But my problem with the jigsaw puzzle, if there's one in the house, I can't really leave it alone. Like I've like, that is, I would say as close to like an obsession. Like if it's in the house, it, ca it calls to me. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like gold. It calls to us. It's like the puzzle pieces. They call to the pace, the, 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 the holes in the puzzle. They call to me. Ooh, they called me. And so uh, I view a lot of like the work that I do like that, like, I was like, Ooh, there's a missing puzzle there. I've got to figure out what that piece is. And so sometimes it's like looking at a box of puzzle pieces. And I don't know if there's three different puzzles dumped in that box or just one sort of take things out and try them out. See, you know, which ones seem to fit. That's a really inspiring way to approach life in general. I really, really like that. That's great. And we are going to pack the show notes of this episode with the links to all of these different things that you're doing. Sort of the importance of getting the book early and checking out the podcast, all of these sorts of things. Obviously, that's helpful for you, but it's most more helpful because it gets the information out and it builds that momentum. So all those links will be there. Jen, as people are Pursuing all of this, where do you like people to find you? Where are you prevalent? Where do you want people to come and search you out? Oh, well, I would love people to find me on Twitter at Dr. Jen Gunter and Instagram at Dr. Jen Gunter and Substack, the Vagenda with a J. Vagenda. Uh -huh. and, <laughs> and my podcast uh, over, you can subscribe to that body stuff. You can find me over at TED or subscribe on Apple or Spotify. 
yeah, I'm out and about. Um, as we say in Canada, out and about. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I have a question for you. Please. So have you updated the, the Jen Gunter response, the response triage, or, you know, you had a scale, you had a scale of how I responded to people. And I think like the top one was just fuck off. The, that was literally the last thing I was going to ask you. <laughs> I, I'm going to text you my notes for this when we're done. It's literally the last thing I was going to ask that we need to update the Jen Gunter Twitter response clapback pyramid because there is an update. I am this one. I am more afraid of being on the receiving end of slash laugh the hardest when you use it more so than just fuck off. It's oh, sweetie, dot, dot, dot. I don't ever want to be on the receiving end of that one. That one is there's a hammer swinging when those when that one comes out. You know, and it's so I think I. I don't, I really don't think I can claim that to my own. I think, um, I think I've seen an, a couple of other, um, amazing, uh, women, uh, use it. And, uh, I thought that that's a good weapon. I'm going to okay. have that next to my mace. <laughs> well, exactly. Credit to you for sharing the credit, but yeah, that's on the pyramid. That's the one for sure. Um, that I've noticed the most. I think the one though, that you are really consistent with it's like just the good body blow body blow body blow is you quote tweet really well so it's your kind of rebuttal or comment over the top of i think you're really really good at that i think that that would almost be like in the middle part of the pyramid like structural integrity part of the pyramid yeah i do um i'm very thoughtful with my quote tweets i have to say um and no, I'm also mindful of it too, but you know, if you're an ass, you're an ass, <laughs> totally. um, but I think I'm super more mindful of it when I want someone else to get their well-deserved attention because the problem is if I quote tweet, say, Hey, everybody look at this. It probably gets more attention, but yeah, sometimes yeah. it's my thing that gets retweeted and I want them to be retweeted. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, so that's interesting. I, Cause you have 300 and what? 25, 350,000 followers. If you quote tweet something, it's getting attention, whether you want it to or not. You get, right. so you, it sounds like you've kind of come to understand how better to wield that. Yeah. I mean, like sometimes you'll see this amazing tweet from someone and it's not getting traction. You absolutely think it should. And so then I have to make a decision. Do I retweet them? Um, and, and see if that takes off. Um, and so that's typically what I do. Yeah. I want someone who, written something amazing to get, I want them to get that credit for it. Cause unfortunately, sometimes when you quote tweet someone, sometimes people sort of attribute it to you and you're like, no, I, like that's not me. I'm sharing somebody else's stuff. Yeah. So what yeah. I do is I'll retweet it. And I do know that me retweeting something often really helps amplify it. Um, and so, and if it gets a lot of traction that it deserves and I'm like, awesome. But sometimes I'll revisit something that I retweeted that I thought was really important. Um, know, maybe six hours later or the next day. And if it didn't look like my retweet helped to go anywhere, then I'll quote tweet it and say, you guys really need to pay attention to this. Got it. That's really cool that you use the the voltage that you have so effectively, but I, I will reflect the same question to you. Are there things that you would like to add to the response pyramid? <laughs> or is there anything, is there anything that you're workshopping that we should be like kind of on the lookout for like a teaser trailer? Oh, I don't know. Um, how about this? Hear me out. <laughs> That'll be the name of your Netflix series. Hear me out with Dr. Jen Gunter. That can be the yeah. name of, or whatever oh, the next God. piece of the media empire. You know what? Like that's a, uh, 
I'm looking for a title for free. Maybe that's me out. <laughs> you know, that's it. That's actually there's something there because if it is the third, if it's the if it's the trilogy and it really is going to be the third book, I like to hear me out because it also implies that like we're bringing something to a close. So yeah. uh, anyway, we'll 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 be able to hash that out a little bit closer to the time. This was awesome. I'm so glad you came back. We'll we'll make it happen where we don't wait for two years before you come back on Explore <laughs> the Space. But this was so cool. This was just a total treat. We're gonna have this all these show no- all, we're gonna have the show note packed with links. But Jen, all the best with the book, the podcast, all that you're doing. And and thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Mark. I really appreciate it. And you know what? We really have to get together in person now that we're all vaccinated. I know. Absolutely. That will be be good Twitter content. That'll be a fun selfie to take for sure. I know. Because now I'm like, not that I want to be like, but I'm like, okay, you got to like meet everybody. You have the opportunity to, because I don't know, never know when there's going to be the next pandemic that's right you never know well this was awesome and we'll get this out soon but in in, all the best with all the great things that you've got going right now and um this was just a treat thank you so much mark you take care and have a great day my thanks once again to dr gunter for joining me on this episode of explore the space podcast check out the show notes the links are all there to her book the menopause manifesto to her podcast to her Substack to her social media. It's all there. Check it out. And a quick note too, if you are thinking about buying the book or any book that's coming out, buy it as a pre-purchase or a pre-order. That really helps out authors because it helps move their book up all of the search lists, all of the bestseller lists. It's a huge driver of a book success. So for any book that is available for pre-order that you think you might want to buy, buy it as a pre-order. It really helps out the authors that you want to support. Thank you to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode as well. Learn more about Creighton's Executive MBA and Executive Fellowship programs at www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E. Thank you also to Caroline for sponsoring this episode. Check out Caroline for HIPAA-compliant checklists and coordinated handoffs for your entire care team. Caroline is currently offering the platform for free to the first 100 clinicians who sign up on their new direct-to-clinician platform. So visit www.carealign.ai backslash explore to save your spot. Thanks to you so much for listening to this episode of Explore the Space as well. Please do check out the full archive. Over 200 episodes are there, www.explorethespaceshow.com. Email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com, and you can find me on Twitter at ETS Show. Please do subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts as well. That really helps us out, and please share the show with your friends. Leave that five-star rating and review also really helps out the show. Thanks so much for taking the time. Never take that for granted. Grateful to you for listening. Take care of yourselves. If you have the opportunity to get your COVID-19 vaccine, please do so. We will see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.